You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. We're in Luke chapter 20, verse 9. And Lord, we do give this study to you. Just thank you for uh, the work you did in first service. And we just pray just great things over the people in second service, Lord, that you would change and make and equip and rebuke and encourage and just do all that's in your heart uh, through this section of Luke. Love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse nine, then he began to tell the parable, uh, the people, this parable, a certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent another servant and they beat him also, treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And again, he sent a third and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him. And when they see him, when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. This parable is kind of like one of those plays you would read in high school, you know, where at the beginning of the play would have a cast list. And uh, I always remember, you know, looking through the cast, who do I want to be? I want to be the mechanic, not the, you know, not the uh, tailor or something like that, you know. And, And here in our cast, we have the man, the man who owns the vineyard. In the parable, the man is is a representation of God. You have the vineyard, which is a a representation of God's blessing to Israel. You have the vine dressers who represent Israel or the Jews. You have the servants who are the prophets. You have the son who most of you would pass the test with flying colors. The son is Jesus. And you have the new vine dressers at the end of the parable who are the Gentiles. And so he tells this parable that this man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers and went into a country for a long time. And then at vintage time, verse 10, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But in the next three verses... The vine dressers either beat the servant and then the next servant came and then they beat him and treated him shamefully. And then the next servant came and they wounded him or they literally cut his body. And so what you have here is just a picture of Old Testament history. 
You know, God creating Israel and in his creation of Israel and in his favor towards Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, there's such blessings to that nation. Not only is there the promised land, but there was the fellowship with Yahweh, the creator. There was the forgiveness of sins. There was uh, the the sacrifices and the offerings and the ordinances, which even benefited the people by their obedience. Such blessings, such riches in being the Jews in the Old Testament, if they would just have obeyed the Lord. And so because they disobeyed, you know, God wanted what belonged to him, the fruits from this vineyard. Or he wanted really their hearts, the fruits from the blessings. You know, he he thought, man, if I love them, they'll love me back. But they didn't. And so when he went to collect their love, in a sense, or their loyalty, or their heart, they rejected him. And in the Old Testament, he used the prophets to go and to collect and to call people to repent and to turn their hearts back to God. If you'll flip over to Second Chronicles chapter 36, it's very similar to, to where we're at in First Kings. It's the days of the kings. And from the first king, Saul, the kings always struggled with being obedient to the Lord, to, with obeying his statutes and his commandments and following them with a loyal heart. King Saul failed at that. King David excelled in that. King David became the the example all throughout the rest of the kings on a heart that's loyal to God, a righteous heart. David's son Solomon was warned when he was 15 years old and he became king at a young age. The Lord told him and gave him three chances and said, Solomon, If you will obey me like your father David obeyed me, if you'll give me your heart, if you'll obey my commandments and my statutes with all that you are, if you're loyal, I'll give you an incredible kingdom. I'll give you all the riches you could ever want, but please just be loyal to me. And Solomon started out strong, maybe the first two years, and then the rest of his life, he disobeyed the Lord. And that just set the example for the rest of the kings that uh, uh, maybe only like a a, a couple tiny little handful, you know, of, of the kings were obedient to the Lord partially, but the rest of the kings were disobedient and they brought on the land idolatry and sexual immorality and some of the worship of some gods. It even came to the point that they worshiped these false gods by sexual immorality or by child sacrifice, you know, or, or just paganism at its heart. And so in Second Chronicles 36, verse 15, it says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them. And then get this, maybe even underline this, because he had compassion on his people, and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. 
You know, it started out that the people had God's favor and he was so gracious and willing to forgive if they would just confess and repent of their sins. You know, and he sent these prophets because he loved them and he had compassion on them and he wanted to see Israel restored, but they wouldn't, wouldn't have it. And you guys have heard the, the saying, you know, don't shoot me, I'm the messenger. You know, don't shoot the messenger, I'm just bringing the message. They'd shoot the messenger. And you know, it's funny because there in Second Chronicles, it says that they mocked the messengers, they despised his words, and they scoffed him. Where in Jesus' parable, they beat the messengers, they treated them shamefully, or they mocked them, and they wounded them and, and cut at them. And so it's just always been the case in the Old Testament and, and all, all the way up to Jesus' time that when holy men of God would come with a message from Him of repentance, the sheep would bite. The people would bite. The people wouldn't hear it. And you know what? It's the same in the New Testament times. It's the same clear to in 2000, almost 10, that when men or women of God, prophets or prophetesses, if you will, when they would stand in the Word and confront people on their sin and love or plead with people to follow wholeheartedly after God and to obey His commandments and His statutes, that the people bite back. The people bite back. And you know, Jesus says, you know, count it all joy when you're persecuted for my name's sake. Because in the same way that they persecuted me, Jesus, they're going to persecute you. You know what it means when you're being persecuted for righteousness sake? It means that people are seeing you, they're noticing it, and they're acting on your life. It means you're doing something right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't say blessed are you when you do stupid things and you get pulled over by the cops and you get thrown in jail for five days. You know, that, that's your own fault. You're on your own, you know. <laughs> But blessed are you when all that you are is upholding Jesus and standing up for him. And it's a hard thing to do as a man and as a woman, isn't it? It's a hard thing to do to confront the people that you love. You know, and as we went through on Wednesday night and we've gone through a few Sundays ago, probably eight Sundays ago, that, you know, you know it says that those that I love, I rebuke and chasten. It also says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Oh man, the kisses just seem so sweet. We all want the kisses, right? None of us want to change. None of us want to have someone to tell us, man, I see things in your life that are going on that it's going to end horribly for you. And I just see this little thing in you that needs to be corrected. And right now you're, you're going off course and I just want to help as your brother or your sister that loves you. I want to just set you right back in range again and get you just walking on that right path. It's a hard thing to do, but it's a necessary thing to do. And you know, it's funny, there were, I don't know if it's really funny, but it's interesting that in the Old Testament, there were prophets that, that was a hard call for them, that the Lord would tell them, you know, you speak this truth into their life that they are in sin and that my judgment is coming if they don't repent. But in Lamentations chapter 2, I think it's verse 14. I just read it on Wednesday. You know, Lamentations was written by Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who just constantly weeped over Israel's sin and unrepentance. And so he wrote the book Lamentations, or to lament. And in chapter 2, he talks about how there were prophets 
that would tell the people, all is well, you're doing just fine. Peace and safety, don't worry about it, everything's good. And the Lord, you know, and the other prophets, he says, the Lord just rebukes the prophet and that prophet gets, gets reprimanded harshly by the Lord. After Lamentations chapter 2 says that, it says that the result of a prophet who says everything's okay when everything's not okay is that when men walk out of the tabernacle or out of the temple, men of the world see them living just like them and they go, "Uh uh-huh, you know what? That's why I don't believe in God or that's why I don't follow God because those people that go into that temple and claim to be of God live exactly like I do outside of the world. So why would I want to waste my Sundays going in there and doing a whole bunch of traditions, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, crush your chest, don't crush your chest, you know, whatever, (laughs) you know, uh, why would I want to do that when you're living just like I do? I've got exactly what you've got. When God is calling us to righteous living, God is calling us to be people of virtue and people of character and people of holiness, just like he's holy. But when the prophets come and they want to see the fruit, you, you call yourself a Christian? Let me see the fruit of you being a Christian. You call yourself an apple tree? Let me see the apples. Because right now you're calling yourself an apple tree and I just see thorns. I don't see the fruit that you're saying that you're a fruit tree. You're not a fruit tree. You're a, you're a cactus, you know? And so even today, examine your life as the prophet comes to you today and says, Jesus's standards are those of holiness and you're living in unholiness. Jesus's standard for your life is sexual purity and you're living in sexual impurity. And the word of God is clear that the will of God is your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each one of you would learn how to possess your vessel in honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And those who reject this saying, don't reject man, but God who's given us his Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. <laughs> That's the will of God, your sanctification. The will of God is not that you just live a happy, peachy life. That's not why he died on the cross. The will of God is that you would live for him with all your heart. Is there joy in that? Absolutely. Is there adventure in that? Heck yeah. Can I say heck from the pulpit? I don't know. You might need to rebuke me afterwards. It's a substitute word. I apologize. Um, you know, there's such joy. There's such adventure. But there's times when the world hates you and there's times when you are to bring division by standing up for the truth. I have a friend right now who's a pastor in Belt, Montana, and and it just came out that that, uh, a third of the board uh, rejects the counsel of the word of God and two thirds of the board are standing for the word of God. And he's just like, I don't want, I don't know what to do because if I ask the other guys to step down who don't want to stand on the word of God, That'll cause division. And I just said, Chris, God has called you to be the shepherd of that church and to stand up for the truth. And if division comes, it's not because of you, buddy. It's because of the people who are setting the book on the ground and saying, that was for centuries ago. Society dictates differently now. Society should never dictate differently now. Our culture should always be shaped by the Bible, not vice versa. And so because you 
This week, maybe even, you're going to be a prophet like these guys in the parable, and you're going to go and you're going to demand to see the fruit of people's lives. It might cause division, but you know what Jesus says? You think I came to bring peace? I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to set father against son and mother against daughter and brother against sister because one brother is going to stand for Jesus and another is going to resist Jesus and it's going to bring division. It's going to bring division and you might be spit upon and you might be mocked and you might be beat up and you might be scourged for standing for his name and wounded. But take joy, Jesus says, because such were the prophets who came before you. You're being likened to an awesome bunch. You should read Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of the faith. And it says at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, although these men were incredible, They weren't made perfect apart from you because God wants you to stand and be numbered with the men of the Old Testament and now with us, the men of the New Testament as well. Stand up, would you? Be a prophetess for goodness sakes. Know your Bible. Be a prophet. Stand up for the truth. Well, these men went into the vineyard and it was not pretty. They got beat. They got made fun of. People were playing keep away with their hats, you know, give me my hat back. No, keep away. Uh, They were wounded. Then the owner of the vineyard, verse 13, said, what shall I do? What what possible other thing can happen? And he, he finally came down to, I'll send my beloved son. Mark's gospel puts it, my only beloved son. You know, isn't that awesome? That's who Jesus is to God. His only beloved son. When you read about Abraham being told to take Isaac up on the mountain and sacrifice, it says, Abraham, take now your, your son, your only son whom you love and go up to Mount Moriah and offer him up as a sacrifice. It's exactly what Jesus did. He, he took Isaac's place that day. He became the, the sacrifice and he was God's son. I think of sacrificing little Roro, Russell, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I could be obedient in that. I'm glad he had Abraham do it and not me because he's not asking me to do anything hard like that. That's for sure. Um, You know, and take that. I'm going to send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. And so we just see how patient God is toward Israel. You know, after they rejected the first prophet, he could have just, he would have totally been justified and be like, all right, let's get the army. We're going in, you know, shock and awe, you know, we're going to, there's going to be nothing left of that vineyard, but there's going to be nothing left of those guys either. You know, how dare you talk to my servants like that? But how patient he is, prophet after prophet after prophet. Isaiah, the prophet who said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, Today they can be as white as snow. And tradition says that Isaiah was sawn in half by King Manasseh. You know, or Jeremiah, who tradition says he was stoned. You know, or Elijah, who lived during the days of Jezebel, the wicked witch of the north, when Jezebel slaughtered the prophets of God. Mass slaughter of the men who would stand up. Oh man, God had every right to just destroy the earth and say, We're done. But aren't you glad I was reading a Genesis chapter six this week 
And after the flood, Noah's flood, uh, that the Lord brought the rainbow and he saw how destructive the flood was. And he goes, I promise to never again destroy the earth by a flood. <laughs> He's like, I promise to be more great. You know, I promise I'm going to show more long suffering and more patience. And that's exactly what he did. And even to the point where he said, they won't listen to the prophets. I'll send them my only boy. Martin Luther said, if I were God and the world had done to me what it did to him, I'd kick the wretched thing to pieces. <laughs> you know, God had every right to just, bah, you know, to see how far I can punt the earth, you know, probably could have punted it uh, pretty far. So what are they going to do? Probably they'll respect my son when they see him. Mm-mm. Verse 14, but when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Now, remember, this is Passion Week. This is the last two days of Jesus's life. This is his last day of public ministry where he's going to be pleading with Israel to repent. And right now, that's exactly what he's doing in this parable. He's talking to the Jews and he's saying, hear this little cute little story that I'm telling you about vine dressers and stuff like that. You guys are the vine dressers and I'm the son. And you know what you're going to do to me day after tomorrow? You're going to, you're going to crucify me on a Roman cross because you love yourselves and your pride so much more than you love the Messiah. This is you, is what he's saying. And this is exactly where they were at in history. And so he warns them, you know what's going to happen? In, in Matthew's gospel, he actually asks them. So you know what's going to happen when you reject the son? And they actually answered it rightly. Well, probably going to destroy those guys and give it to somebody else. That's exactly right. Matthew's gospel says he's going to lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. You guys aren't producing the type of fruit. You're not giving me your lives and your heart and your eyes and your lips and your ears and everything that you are. You're not loving me with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Well, believe it or not, Israel, there's a whole lot of other nations out there that are longing to hear about me, a loving, gracious God. And all throughout the Old Testament, God had a mission for Israel to be missionaries. Israel was supposed to be missionaries to all the other nations. The other nations were supposed to be able to come to Israel and, and know God and love God. But Israel became so proud in themselves and they began to hate other nations until finally they even hated Jesus. They hated the Messiah. And so exactly what Jesus said would happen, happened when the gospel went out and started to go forth to other nations. And it says, I say to you in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. In Romans, flip over to Romans chapter 11. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are, are key for understanding God's heart for Israel. Romans chapter 9 talk about Israel's past how to Israel was given the covenants and the ordinances and a relationship with God. Romans chapter 10 talks about Israel's present state of rejecting Jesus. And then Romans chapter 11 
talks about the future that Israel has, that one day all Israel will be saved. And so if you look here in Romans chapter 11, verse 16, it says, and it's talking about a tree here. uh, If the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, And you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And if you, and you stand by faith, do not be haughty, but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Israel all throughout scripture is called an olive tree and it has its roots based in Jesus and God and, and, and blessings come from them having their roots in God. But for those that no longer wanted to be associated with God and be obedient with God, their branch, they were broken off of that olive tree and cast into the fire. They rejected God. They rejected his prophets. They rejected Jesus. And so they were broken off and tossed into the fire. The amazing thing is, just like Jesus said would happen in Luke chapter 20, he gave the blessings over to a nation that didn't work for it. He gave it over to Gentiles. And so when you, and I'm assuming 99% of people in this room aren't Jewish, If you're a Gentile here today and you believe in Jesus, you've been grafted in. And I don't know a lot about horticulture. I think a lot of you could probably teach me something, but you can be, you know, you can be grafted in to God's heart and promises for Israel. Give you an example. About a year and a half ago, my aunt had leukemia. Right now I have two aunts that that have leukemia. One's recovering of it and one was just given three months to live. You can pray for my aunt Diane. My aunt Pam had leukemia and my mom was her bone marrow donor for a bone marrow transplant. So the night before uh, the bone marrow was harvested, we had a party at my aunt's house, you know, and um, my uncle brought both my mom and my aunt these incredible trees that had, it, it was one tree with like four or five different types of fruits growing on it. On one branch, it was an apple tree. On one branch, it was a pear tree. On one branch, it was a... I'd never heard of anything. I just happened to be teaching on this in the high school group at the time. I was like, I'm using that, you know. And, and how incredible that, that, you know, you can break a branch off and you can put something else on and it will grow. And we've been put on to the blessings that were for Israel because we believed They were broken off because they didn't believe. Now, the incredible thing is God's not done with Israel. If you know your your eschatology, one day all Israel is going to be saved. They're going to bow the knee to Jesus, the Messiah, or Yeshua, Mashiach. That's going to be a a gorgeous day. And so we branches that have been grafted in, we shouldn't be like, ah, 
Forget the Jews, you know, they rejected Jesus. No, we should be praying for the Jews. Pray that they could be grafted back in. Pray that they'll know, know Jesus, the Messiah. But notice there, it says, if God didn't spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness of God and the severity of God. Man, if you're living in a lifestyle where you're practicing sin, you need to be confronted with the severity of God today. You need to go home and you need to read 1 John today. That those who say they know him, but do not keep the commandments, lie and do not practice the truth. And you're not walking in truth, but you're walking in darkness. That's a word of prophecy for you today. That's God's heart for you today. And you can either listen to the words of the prophet today or you can reject him because it's clear today that he wants all of our hearts. He wants all of our fruit. He's a good God, isn't he? Man, we love talking about his goodness, don't we? Goodness. Yeah. Heaven. Yeah. Paradise. Give me some, you know. Changing. Don't want to, you know. Stop doing that. Make me, (laughs) you know. I need to talk to you after church today. I have to leave early, you know. There's goodness, but there's severity. And I'm so glad for the, for the severity. You know, you read John chapter 15 and that the vine dresser comes along to the grapevine and he cuts off the little dead things. And when he cuts off those, he prunes it. It makes that vine so much more healthy and bear so much more fruit. We all got like big tumors sticking off the sides of our necks. And, you know, we got our twin living in a pimple on our back, you know, and it needs to be. It's got a vertebrae and a set of teeth. Like, remove that, you know? I don't know if you... Big fat Greek wedding. Sorry. Can't remember if that's a good movie to quote or not. But Let's get back to the Bible, huh? Sounds good to me. And so as Jesus told this parable, the listeners were getting livid. How dare you? I know where you're going with this parable. I I bet you think that I'm the vine dresser, huh? Surely you don't think I'm the son, but you you are, you know, and and at the end of it, you know, it says that he will come and give, uh, destroy those vine dressers and give the vine vineyard to others. Verse 16. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. They did not appreciate this parable. I am not this, uh, vine dresser. And you will not be giving this nation over to somebody else. Certainly not. That's not the God I know. And then in verse 17, then he looked at them and he said, why then is it written? The stone, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Why is it written then that you'll reject somebody important, somebody foundational, the most important part of a building you're going to reject And really, he's going to, he's going to be made known to all to be the chief cornerstone. There's an ancient story that says when they were digging in the quarry to find all the rocks for the temple, they brought the rocks from 15 to 30 miles away. And we're not talking, got a pocket full of rocks, you know, or whatever, (laughs) pour it and dump it out. Oh, this fits perfectly in this little spot. We're talking, I've seen with my eyes, one of the foundation stones for the temple 20 feet wide by 40 feet long. It's like two motorhomes put together. And they would drag these things by oxen and logs and they'd 
They keep stacking the logs in front of it, you know, and, and get it rolling there to Jerusalem. And they brought these massive stones into where they quarried them at the quarry. So when you brought them to Jerusalem, they just fit perfectly together. No chisel was used on the making of, of these rocks at the temple, the Bible tells us. You can't even fit a butter knife in there. It's just perfect masonry. Well, the story is told that one day they brought the chief cornerstone there and they brought it in with all the other stones and it looked like nothing special, kind of was odd. And, and so they said, yeah, this must have been a mistake. And they just rolled it down the hill of the Temple Mount down into the Brook Kidron, the Kidron Valley there. And then when they began working on the foundation and they were setting it up, they noticed, well, where's the chief cornerstone part? And they sent a message up to the quarry. We need the cornerstone. Send it down here. Breaker, breaker. <laughs> you know, we sent the cornerstone to you two months ago. What? Where is it? Uh, well, we did throw one nasty looking rock. It was not what we expected it to be down in here. And, and it's, they went down there and they found it overgrown with weeds. And so they picked it up and they brought it back and they set it there. And it became that fabulous piece that made the foundation perfect. All throughout the scriptures, that's what it says about Jesus, that he's that fabulous cornerstone, the rock of our foundation. First Corinthians tells us that Jesus is the foundation and no other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, Jesus Christ. And so he tells these guys, you're going to reject me. Zechariah chapter 14 says, but one day you're going to look on me whom you pierced and you're going to mourn like the one who mourns for his only son dying. You've rejected me, but I'm going to be the the beautiful cornerstone. And then verse 18, whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. What beauty there is in being humble and falling down before God and saying, Lord, I don't understand everything about you, but I do know this, you're real and you're holy and I'm not holy, and I need your holiness. And just being humble before the Lord, falling down and being broken before him. God says, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Man, I need grace daily. Daily, I'm needing pruning to happen, and I need things cut off of me. You know, I need my wife to to correct me. And she did a few times this week, and I needed it, you know. You know, I need people to speak the truth into my life daily. I I need to wake up and say, Lord, search my heart. Is there any sin in it? Because if there is, I need to get rid of it. Like Hebrews tells us, daily examine yourselves to see whether you're of the faith. Daily. Is there fruits in my life that I'm really, truly believing in Jesus? Or am I a thorn bush? Lord, show me. Examine me right now. Perform your radar scan. You know, when you start hearing that, it means get rid of that sin. That's him convicting you to get rid of it. Be broken before him. Now, I don't know why I always think of this when I read this. I just imagine as if you were to, to drop a, an egg on a large rock. You, know, you just drop an egg on it. Just kind of a light breaking that happens. And yeah, you know, the, the egg comes out, but it's all still, you got the everything's in, you know, ah, oh, there was some breaking that happened, but you know, if it's hot enough out, we can grill it on that rock. You know, you know, it's just, it's still, okay, we can use this thing. Let's do that vice versa. Let's put the egg on the ground, get the giant boulder, go bam, and then see what's under there. 
We need a medic, <laughs> you know? Man, fall on Jesus. Just be broken. It's beautiful. Lord, I see my sin and I see what you see and I need you to take it away from me and I confess it before you. Help me to walk a walk worthy of you. Help me to live for you. I just, I'm humbled. I realize I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. Help me, save me. Give me an extra measure of your Holy Spirit that I can walk in victory. But if today you hear his voice and you harden yourself and you say, nope, I'm not going to yield to Jesus. I'm not going to listen to what this guy's saying. I'm not going to bow my knee to him. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Then one day the rock Jesus is going to crush you and grind you to powder. And Philippians tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Look at your knees right now and just think, one day these kneecaps are going to hit the dirt and confess Jesus is Lord. And that can either be today, you can just do it today. Jesus is Lord, Lord of my life. Or you'll be obligated to do it in the end before you're sent to hell for eternity. Scriptures tell us. Boy, I don't want to be forced to bow. I want to bow on my own right now. Like, oh, see the truth and see the one who loves you. Whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So we're going to end there. You can set your Bibles aside and have the worship team come on forward. And Lord, today we just pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this room and soften us, Lord. All of us, Lord, soften me. Soften the elders. Soften the deacons. Soften the man who's gone to this church for so long or the newbie today. Lord, we want to soften ourselves before you. We fall on you and upon your mercies. We appeal to your tender mercies. Lord, where there needs to be brokenness in our heart over our sin, show us the cost and the damage that our sin has done. Lord, for one, we know that it, it cost you your life. It cost you your blood, your flesh, Lord. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We see the sin in our life, Lord, as the prophets confront us, whether it be through one of us in this church or whether it be just by reading your word in our quiet time. As the prophets confront us, as the Holy Spirit convicts us, we want to be soft and we want to be able to change that minute Lord, where there's sin in our life that's just in need of, of turning. Lord, turn us today. Lord, as you say that I can either talk to you with my gentle voice or I can move you with the bit and the bridle. 
Lord, today we choose the gentle voice of Jesus. Lord, we love that you're a good God and we see that you're a severe God. And Lord, today we appeal to your goodness. As the scriptures say, your kindness leads us to repenting. Your goodness today leads us to change, God. And today, as we just close in this worship song, we're just gonna, we're gonna leave standing for those that just are responding to God and saying, Lord, today I'm broken before you. Today I fall on you and ask for brokenness. And I confess all my sins before you and I ask to be cleansed. Maybe today you'll stand and it'd be the first time in your life that you've chosen Jesus as the Lord of your life. And you've asked him to take away your sins and to help you to live a life worthy of his name. And today, if today's the first time for you, you can do that today too. You can stand and say, Jesus, I fall on you and I'm broken. I don't want to be ground to powder, Lord. And so as we sing, if that's you, just go ahead and stand. And we're just going to have the elders and the leaders in the back standing. And if you need just special prayer, you're just, you know, James tells us that if we confess our sins to one another, there's healing that takes place. And today can be just the beginning of healing for you. Lord, break us today. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.